The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Breaking news. Hurricane Ida slamming into Louisiana in what is being described as the region's worst storm since Katrina some 16 years ago. The entire city of New Orleans without power as major oil and gas producers shut production. We have a live report from the region ahead. And a developing story out of Afghanistan as well, where the clock is ticking to evacuate remaining U.S. personnel and allies from the country. This, as the U.S. says, it's eliminated an imminent threat facing Kabul, the latest ahead. And on Wall Street, investors still digesting Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell's comments from Jackson Hole Symposium. Stocks, well, they're back at record highs. And lastly, the CDC convening today to weigh in on recommending a booster vaccine for most Americans as the COVID-19 threat remains all too real. We've got all of it today, Monday, August 30th, 2021. You're watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Good morning, everyone. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan at this hour. We're going to kick off your Monday trade with a look at U.S. stock futures. We are higher marginally at pre-market here. Dow Jones up 20 points. Nasdaq higher by 21 and the S&P 500. We're seeing gains of around three points. But keep in mind, the S&P 500 is coming off its 52nd record close of the year. The Nasdaq seeing its 31st. Now to this morning's top story, Hurricane Ida battering the Gulf region this morning after making landfall as a Category 4 storm yesterday. Our own Valerie Castro joins us from New Orleans with the very latest on this storm. Valerie. Good morning, Seema. We're coming to you here from along the banks of the Mississippi River in New Orleans, where things are actually relatively calm right now compared to the conditions that we saw here yesterday. As you mentioned, Hurricane Ida made landfall yesterday just before noon as a monster Category 4 storm. And just within the last few minutes or so, it has now been downgraded to a tropical storm. This morning, we are waking up to more than one million people without power across the state. Here in New Orleans, the entire city is currently without electricity. The power went out just after 6 o'clock last night. Entergy, one of the largest utilities here in the state, called it a, quote, catastrophic failure of their transmission system. They alone are reporting more than 800,000 outages. Meanwhile, the city of New Orleans is currently experiencing technical difficulties with their 911 emergency system. They are urging anyone in need to go to their nearest fire station or flag down the closest emergency responder. President Biden issued a declaration, a disaster declaration from FEMA headquarters yesterday. And last night, we got word that the first death reported, uh, attributed to Ida was reported yesterday. That was the Ascension Parish Sheriff's Office. They tell us that someone was killed by a fallen tree. As the storm moved on shore yesterday, it barreled near the town of Homa. That's just west of New Orleans. And video shows a roof being ripped off. It became a projectile at one point. And then in Kenner, Louisiana, the roof came off of a hospital facility there. We're told there was no danger to patients, but medical staff did have to shelter in place. Uh, we saw those images coming in yesterday. Today, we're just waiting for the sun to come up to get a full assessment of how bad the damage really is. Seema? 
Uh, just jarring images there, Valerie. Uh, what do we know about the storm reduction system that Louisiana invested in following Hurricane Katrina back in 2005? Is it working? It certainly seems to be working here in New Orleans. As you mentioned, they upgraded everything after Katrina. Yesterday, the mayor said she was confident that things would hold. The storm surge level was well below the levee protection system limits here in New Orleans. However, in other parts of the state, the southern portion of the state where the storm first came on shore, we're told there was some failure of those levee systems, although how bad that damage is is still unclear. Seema. All right, Valerie, Valerie Castro with the latest for us in New Orleans. Thank you. Uh, we'll check in back with you soon. The Gulf Coast is the heart of U.S. oil and gas production supply, about 17 percent of the nation's crude. The Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement says energy companies had to shut in more than 95 percent of output or roughly 1.7 million barrels per day in the Gulf of Mexico by Sunday. Oil prices hit more than three-week highs early in the session today, but are falling back in anticipation of a likely recovery in production. But let's get more on this with John Kilda, founding partner at Again Capital and a CNBC contributor. John, good morning to you. Good morning, Seema. How do you size up the impact of this hurricane as we learn more uh, about the effect it's having on that region down there? I mean, despite this storm being an absolute monster, we uh, definitely did not get the worst case scenario to come to fruition here. Uh, it looks like the refineries in the region, which is the refinery breadbasket of our country, um, appear to have escaped great damage. They are built to withstand uh, significant storms. And so that's what you're seeing. Uh, as your correspondent just pointed out, though, the big issue is going to be power, power, power. Uh, for reasons that are somewhat unknown, uh, the refiners in the region rely on the power grid to, for their operations, despite all the BTUs they're pumping out in terms of uh, fuel. So, uh, and I doubt, and nor should they necessarily be prioritized in terms of power restoration. So that's going to be the big issue. That's partly why you're seeing crude oil lower, because a big chunk of demand for that crude oil, the refiners in the region are down. And it's why you're seeing gasoline prices on the futures exchange jump uh, because we're going to have to live off what we have in storage for a little while here until these refiners can get back online. So that's going to be the big question mark here as we go through the day. Uh, but we again, we have really lucked out in terms of, you know, massive damage to Gulf infrastructure and refining infrastructure uh, was avoided. Yeah, it seems like that's because of the precautionary measures uh, taken over the last week. I think it's about 280 oil platforms, John, that have been evacuated. How quickly can those come back online as this hurricane makes ground? Yeah, basically all the Gulf of Mexico oil and natural gas production has been has been shut in uh, as a result of the storm approaching. They, they do that now. The industry does that now. Even if it's just a tropical storm, they take zero chances uh, with the personnel. They'll be back on within a matter of days. The other big question is there's a big import facility called the Louisiana Offshore Oil Platform called the Loop. Uh, that actually also exports crude oil. But uh, that should be OK as well. So, again, it's just a matter of days, Seema. And the big question mark is going to continue to be uh, power, power, power. Also, too, for the key colonial pipeline, which brings, as most of us know because of uh, recent history, mm. brings all the fuel up from the Gulf Coast uh, to the eastern third of the country for the most part. Uh, it, too, went down. 
again, reliant on power, although it is more fortified than the refiners are. So it has the capacity to come back even quicker than they can. What about the six refineries in New Orleans? It looks like there's Phillips, there's Shell, Marathon, Valero. What happens to those and how quickly can those um, you know, reach, reach the production that they were at, let's say, two weeks ago? So again, infrastructure-wise, they should be sound. However, the problem you're going to have now is the flooding. And the flooding is an issue because you won't be able to get them repopulated with the, the personnel, the folks that work at these units. So that's going to be the potential delay there. Although I have to say my hat, has, my hat is off to the Army Corps of Engineers to, to think that New Orleans, just 16 years later, can come through a Cat 4 storm bigger than Katrina and really look okay. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Obviously, there's some more damage assessments to be done. But it's remarkable. Uh, and the refiners in the region, too, benefiting from some of those mitigations. But again, uh, flooding and the ability of people to get to those plants to throw the light switches back on uh, is going to be the big issue. So we could be in for a problem uh, in terms of gasoline supplies in the eastern third of the country uh, if this extends. So that's the situation to watch. It could become problematic uh, for a lot of us. Let me pick up right there then. Uh, Americans at home, should they expect gas, higher gas prices, especially ahead of Labor Day weekend? No doubt. Uh, the strain How on the system higher? from the labor from the labor to higher, higher, higher. Uh, we jumped about 10 cents a gallon at the open last night at six o'clock in New York. Uh, and we, but we've come back a bit, but the, the squeeze is gonna be on. If these refiners don't get back online quickly, the squeeze will be on even more so, and particularly in spots in the Southeast, if Colonial Pipeline doesn't come back online. So the gasoline situation uh, is, is the big concern here. Uh, supply wise, uh, just making it and delivering it. John, always appreciate your expertise, a look at what this means for the energy sector. Thank you for your time today. John Kildow. Thank you. And when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, the U.S. thwarting an imminent attack on forces around Kabul's international airport as the evacuation enters its final days. Plus, much more on Ida and the latest out of the Gulf Coast region. Stay tuned. And later, a special CDC panel convenes to consider more use cases and safety standards for Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. We speak with one doctor on that panel ahead. A very busy hour when we return. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back. Let's get some of your top stories at this hour. Contessa Brewer is here with the latest. Contessa, good morning. 
Hi there, Seema. The European Union is set to recommend halting non-essential travel from the U.S. because of the soaring COVID infection rates across this country. The recommendation has been under consideration for much of the last month, but whatever the outcome here, it is not binding on all EU countries. A final decision is due today. Medical technology company Baxter International set to buy the medical equipment maker Hillrom Holdings for an estimated $10 billion dollars. Now, we've seen a lot of mergers and acquisitions in this healthcare space, with almost $400 billion worth of takeover deals being struck in the U.S. just this year. And the iPhone 13 reportedly will feature satellite connectivity. It allows users to make calls in areas without cellular coverage. That's according to a note from Apple analyst Ming-Chi Ko. The phone would include hardware that can tap into low-Earth orbit satellites, keeping connectivity in places with low 4G or 5G service. The iPhone 13 is set to debut in September. We'll see what happens when we hit the road and all of a sudden there is no such thing as a bad spot. What are you going to claim when you're trying to talk to your boss or avoid talking to your boss? <laughs> exactly. Not uh, that I would ever do such things. No, never. I welcome that development, though. We'll see if that's part of the new, the new iPhone that comes out. The power of technology. Amazing. Contessa, thanks. Contessa Brewer. Sure. And now back to the markets and the trading day ahead. Futures are slightly higher right now. S&P 500 is seeing gains of just four points. The Nasdaq is higher by 21 points in pre-market trade. Keep in mind, it was energy that was the best performing sector last week, gaining over 4.5 percent. Joining us now to discuss is Josh Wine, Hennessy Funds Portfolio Manager. And Josh, it's always a pleasure to have you on. There seems to be these overarching themes that this market is trying to get its head around, whether it is the prospect of higher rates following what Fed Chair Jerome Powell told us on Friday. Then you have this hurricane and the move that we are seeing in the oil and energy market. And on top of that, an earnings story that only gets stronger and stronger. What's catching your attention today? Yeah, good to be with you, Seema. Good morning. Yeah, I would say that certainly, you know, Jackson Hole and getting a little bit more of the roadmap in place. So I think we now know a lot more than we we did just two business days ago. You know, certainly taper, I think, was well telegraphed, uh, probably the end of the year. We'll see the effects of the storm and, and you know, the proliferation of the Delta variant, uh, whether that's peaking or not, but maybe tapers even the beginning of 22. And then rate hikes, which I think is what people really care about. Uh, that's, you know, true tightening. And, you know, that seems to be well off. So the market, you know, was off to the races on Friday. I would anticipate uh, a little bit more of the same uh, this week. So what changes are you making to your portfolio after hearing what uh, Fed Chair Powell had to say on Friday? Sure. Yeah. You know, we're not making any any big changes. I mean, we've been fully invested, you know, very you know bullish on the market with rates low and, and staying lower for longer. Uh, you know, perhaps much longer. And, uh, you know, the market at about 20 times earnings, uh, which, you know, is incredibly compelling, uh, given where we are with interest rates. So no big changes, just staying the course. It's interesting. You seem very bullish on on the market's direction and where we go from here. But at the same time, just looking at some of your holdings, you seem um, like you're much more bullish on one sector that is considered very defensive, and that is utilities. Tell us why you're putting more money to work in, in the utility sector. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that now that we know a little bit more about what things may look like in the in the coming months with interest rates, I think that, you know, the market's yield, the S&P is about one point three percent. I think utilities are very interesting. You know, many trading at less than a market multiple with, you know, much higher yields. So, you know, companies like Southern Company and Sempra Energy, I think, uh, you know, people should take a look at. I think, you know, 
you know, yields above 3%, growth in dividends of anywhere from, you know, 3 to 4%. In the case of Sempra, uh, they've been able to increase their dividend at about an 8% clip in the last five years. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, increased relevance as we go forward with electrification of, you know, vehicles. And, and that's a, a story that will unfold over many years. But I think that, you know, it has to be mentioned that at some point, you know, every utility in this country will have a new customer and that will be, you know, electric vehicle owners. So I think that that's kind of an interesting kicker to a, a very interesting story that I think just gets overlooked. You know, utilities are not technology. They're not, you know, electric vehicles, which, you know, gather a lot of, you know, mind share. And I, I think that uh, where we are with the market, knowing that rates are staying low, mm -hmm. you know, there's a you know, yield is, uh, you know, very interesting. Uh, quick take on the August jobs report out this Friday. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, Powell and, and the Fed, you know, made it clear that, you know, we need to make back, you know, pretty much those 6 million jobs that were below, you know, pre-pandemic levels. So we've, we've got a, a bit of work to do there. And I think that, you know, we will be looking at that more than often, you know, more than we tend to. And I, you know, I think that that's a big day. I think that uh, perversely, it may be one of those bad news is good news. So a bad jobs report could, you know, send the market higher, which is always a little bit hard to get one's head around. But I think that that's just the way that, you know, things tend to work now with, uh, you know, looking at rates, the Fed as a key to what the market will do. So, yeah. And, and speaking of rates, yields now at 1.3% for the 10 year. So that tells you the story there. Josh, thank you for joining us today. Josh Wine at Hennessy Funds. Still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, the stay-at-home stock, our next guest says, may be the better play as Zoom Video prepares to report its latest quarterly results. We are back after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Zoom has been the poster child of the stay-at-home trade, gaining more than 390% last year. But a very different story here in 2021 with Zoom shares basically flat on the year. So will this company be the latest stay-at-home stock to disappoint following Peloton's dismal report last week? Or with more companies delaying their return to office, could its products remain in high demand? This is a big debate playing out on Wall Street. And joining me now is Wedbush Securities Head of Technology Immediate Trading, Joel Kalina. Joel, it's good to have you on. What will you be looking for in this report from Zoom after the bell? Yeah, thanks for having me on. As, as you kind of mentioned, expectations uh, have definitely been reset lower. Um, you know, what's, what's been an overall, I'd say, fantastic earnings season one at least pocket of weakness, and it's been consistent over and over, and Peloton kind of capped it off last Thursday night, is that these pandemic winners continue to disappoint, whether it's been Peloton, Etsy, you know, Roku, Netflix, GoDaddy, the list goes on and on. So expectations are lower, probably the lowest they've been for, for Zoom, you know, prior to COVID, and hence you're seeing buy side expectations come in, come in a little bit. It seems like where a week ago, people were looking for a 5% uh, jump in revenue sequentially. 
that's probably down to you know three to four percent. Um, and people are really now kind of shifting the focus to you know the recent F9 acquisition and kind of other traction amongst other products. But undoubtedly, the, the bar has been lowered significantly for Zoom. And I guess that's the benefit of reporting this late in the in the season. It was interesting. Last week, Morgan Stanley upgraded the stock um, Zoom, saying that even as we return to office, we're still going to be using products like Zoom. And, and by the way, I'm back in the office. I'm still on one to two Zoom calls a day. Yeah. Well, thankfully, my, my Zoom calls have gone down significantly. And I think a big the biggest issue for, you know, right, right at what you mentioned earlier, like the heart of the debate with Zoom as well is what is churn going to look like moving forward? And all I, I do know is that Zoom, about 37% of their total revenues comes from small businesses. So that means one to 10 employees uh, versus 20% prior to the pandemic. So that's where the biggest headache could be moving forward. A lot of unpredictability in that customer base. And then also just education was a big tailwind for Zoom, um, you know, this time last year. And we know that there's been a big, you know, big push, especially in the U.S. to get kids back in school, whether you're wearing masks or not. Um, and you got to think that it's going to be very, the churn is going to be a hard, hard metric to kind of predict with any sort of, you know, conviction. And that's, I think, one of the biggest issues with the stock is going to be. Where does the stock need to trade for you to feel uh, like it's, it's a good buy? It's trading right around the $300 range, $340, I believe. But it was back at $550 last year. Yeah, as, as and you said earlier, the stock's done absolutely nothing this year. And, and you need to pull up the chart. So the stock is still 394% off the lows from January 1 of 2020. Um, and we know it nearly, you know, nearly hit 600 at, at the peak frenzy last October. Technicals look terrible. You know, nothing about this chart says that large institutions are looking to buy the dip. Hmm. And the mentality has definitely shifted to rallies or to be sold. So for Zoom, I think you look at the near term, look at $400. It's failed there twice. If it can actually, you know, surprisingly put up a good print, really sell the F9 acquisition on the call, I think you look for a break above 400. And that probably leads to some short covering uh, and some near term momentum uh, money. But if it can't get above that $400 level, you know, for the moment, you know, rallies are to be sold in Zoom and I think in other pandemic winners as well. What, what about the opposite side of that trade, which, are, which is the reopening stocks, which seem to be gaining momentum just this month? The cruise lines are higher. The online travel operators also posting gains in August. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's, it's a group of stocks that still obviously offer a little bit of cyclic, you know, cyclical, uh, you know, optionality and, and value as well. So you're seeing, you know, investors migrate towards some of those names, but also, you know, within within tech, I mean, it's not all kind of gloom and doom. You have DocuSign reports Thursday night. Deal flow remains very healthy there. So that's the kind of names I'm seeing tech investors gravitate towards. The, you know, the businesses that have probably a stronger moat um, and, and are really aren't are showing no signs of slowing. And, and semis remain a favorite pocket pocket within tech investors as well. Um, but yeah, some of these high flying, you know, like I said, strictly pandemic winners. The appetite for these stocks has just been extremely low, really, for the better part of the past kind of you know three to four months. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, thanks for walking us through your trades here, Joel. Uh, big week for Zoom, for Zoom and DocuSign, which I know you like as an alternative there, as you just said. Joel Kalina, great to see you. Thank you for having me. Take care. Let's get a check now on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera in New York with the latest. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Seema. Good morning. We start with the entire Lake Tahoe Basin area that has now been placed under evacuation warnings. It's California's Caldor fire rapidly spreads. The blaze has burned more than 168,000 acres. According to Barton Memorial Hospital, patients are being evacuated and transported to regional partner facilities. The hospital's emergency department will remain open. A red flag warning for critical fire conditions has been issued across the northern Sierra until Tuesday, and extreme heat is expected to last several 
several days, threatening to worsen conditions. A consumer alert to tell you about for Tele Beretta USA is recalling 862,000 pounds of uncured antipasto products. It's due to possible salmonella contamination. According to the CDC, the company's vacuum-sealed plastic packages, which include antipasto prosciutto, sopracetta, salami, and copa, have been linked to a salmonella outbreak with cases in 17 states. And finally, Hollywood is mourning the loss of a legend this morning. You know what? You got spunk. <laughs> well, yes. I hate spunk. Ed Asner was best known as the gruff but lovable boss on the Mary Tyler Moore show. His character, Lou Grant, was so loved that he got his own spinoff show and won five Emmy Awards for that role. He won yet another after appearing in the landmark miniseries, Roots. Younger generations know him as Santa alongside Will Ferrell and Elf and the voice of the grumpy adventurer in the Pixar movie, Up. Asner has over 300 acting credits that spans five decades. Off screen, he fought for artist rights while serving two terms as president of the Screen Actor Guild. Seema, those are your headlines. I know every holiday, Elf is right up there playing back-to-back -back on the screen, so we're going to definitely remember him every year from now on as that lovable Ed Asner we all know. You are so right. Christmas doesn't feel the same without watching Elf. I just kind of mm -hmm. have to watch that and love, actually. And he was also well-known for his role as playing uh, billionaire Warren Buffett That's in Tupac right. and Fail back in 2001, 2011. Excuse me. Uh, thank you for that, Francis Rivera. Sure thing. We'll see you later. Ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the very latest on the tropical storm Ida, as more than one million people in Louisiana are still without power, a live report from the region ahead. We'll be right back. Breaking news, Ida making landfall in the Gulf as a Category 4 hurricane in what is the region's worst storm since Katrina 16 years ago. In the Middle East, the evacuation out of Afghanistan now in its final days, the U.S. thwarting what it called an imminent threat on Kabul over the weekend. A live report from Washington next. And the CDC meeting today to weigh in on the merits of a COVID-19 booster vaccine for those Americans already vaccinated from the virus. It is Monday, August 30th, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. It is 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. Good morning, everyone. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. Here's a look at how stock futures are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. hour here in New York. After hitting fresh records on Friday following Fed Chair Jerome Powell's rather dovish speech, or at least that's how the market interpreted it, we are higher once again. The Dow up 15 points in pre-market. The Nasdaq higher by 18 points, so we're slightly lower than about a half an hour ago. Worth noting some of the sectors that are still trailing the S&P 500 with infrastructure talks delay the transports index trading about 7% away from its 52-week high. And take a look at the small-cap Russell 2000 index, about 3% away from its respective high as the U.S. dollar gains ground. Right now, we're looking at oil prices rather volatile just in the last couple hours. We were higher, and now we're trading down just by around 1% for WTI crude at $68 a barrel. Much more on that straight ahead. But a developing story this morning in Afghanistan. The U.S. carrying out an unmanned military strike yesterday on an ISIS-K target in Kabul, one that officials say posed an imminent threat to U.S. troops still on the ground. This as yet another ISIS attack strikes targets in neighborhoods just outside the airstrip. NBC's Tracy Potts in Washington with the latest. Tracy, good morning.
Seema, good morning. Good morning, everyone. The White House said in a statement just after midnight that the president's been briefed on this latest rocket attack, creating yet another threat to the effort to get people out of there before tomorrow's deadline. This morning, reports of a rocket strike and gunfire near Kabul's International Airport after an explosion Sunday. Signs of danger as the U.S. continues evacuations ahead of tomorrow's deadline. All we can do is mitigate risk. We cannot eliminate it. The full U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan is set to happen by midnight tomorrow. Today, the urgent push to get Americans to safety. We have about 300 American citizens left. Uh, who have indicated to us that they want to leave. We are very actively working uh, to help them uh, get to the airport, uh, get on a plane, and get out of Afghanistan. The Biden administration is pushing back on reports that the U.S. put Americans at risk by giving the Taliban names of those still on the ground. The idea that we put anyone in any further jeopardy is simply wrong. On Sunday, a U.S. drone destroyed a vehicle believed to carry suicide bombers planning another attack on the airport. Critics say after tomorrow, it'll be hard to go after ISIS terrorists without sources on the ground. We have very, very little leverage uh, to extract additional Americans or Afghan allies uh, from this uh, landlocked country. On Sunday, the bodies of 13 service members killed in last week's attack arrived home. Just my baby. Yeah my baby. Casualties in a war that's ending at great cost. Now, the U.S. government says that the Taliban is cooperating to some degree, saying that everyone who wants to leave the country will be allowed to do so, Seema, even if it's after tomorrow's deadline. We'll be watching very closely. Tracy Potts, thank you for the latest uh, on Afghanistan at this hour. And joining me now to discuss is Robert Laskowski, former assistant Homeland Security secretary under President George W. Bush. He is also the National Child Protection Task Force founder and chairman. Uh, Secretary, thank you for joining us today. First, your thoughts on the airstrike conducted by the U.S. over the weekend. Uh, Yeah, good morning, Seema. Um, Listen, I think our U.S. forces are going to do everything they can to do uh, to protect uh, those in and around Kabul airport. I believe that... uh, you know, we, we clearly have the capabilities to be able to mitigate those threats or at least uh, interdict where we can. Um, that's going to be an ongoing operation, clearly, during the course of this entire uh, drawdown. Islamist extremism has long been a threat, but with the Taliban now in control of Afghanistan, how big of a risk does this become over time for Americans? Well, I think, um, you know, many say that we're back to where we were in 1998. Uh, I'm not quite sure we're there. I mean, we've made significant progress in uh in the entire region. Um, however, you know, as a, in my former position, I'd certainly be worried about where we are today with regard to the threat posture here in the United States. Um, if nothing else, politically, there is clearly, a, you know, maybe potentially a, a perception that we're weaker than we were before, or at least uh, somewhat weakened. And, um, and you know, the networks uh, that have been gathering over or have been building over the past 20 years here in the United States, as well as abroad, um, you know, we've been able to U.S. forces, U.S. law enforcement and security forces here in the United States have done a great job of being able to mitigate those threats. We haven't had a terrorist attack here in the United States for several years, at least foreign, uh, foreign originated. And the, um, you know, but the Homeland Security posture, I think, is going to continue to raise up, particularly as we uh, we draw nearer to the uh, 9-11 20th anniversary. 
in, in, in finding ways to, to you know, reduce this risk, to isolate this risk, how much of the conversation should be around Pakistan, which has played, from what we understand, a big role in empowering Taliban over the recent years? Yeah, surely. Um, you know, historically, as you point out, Pakistan's always had a role uh, in the region, um, particularly along the border areas with a significant support. Um, I'm not so sure I'm necessarily the credible one to comment about what we can do internationally there, but I think clearly uh, the networks uh, supporting the Taliban in the region are, are continually uh, uh, you know, reinforcing and uh, reestablishing themselves. I don't know, I'm not so sure that they ever were completely disestablished. Um, so, uh, you know, listen, the, uh, you know, the, the dynamics have changed in the, in, the, uh, in the region, clearly with the Taliban rise of power in Afghanistan. It's certainly the move, you know, what the White House has done, it's received a lot of criticism, right, in the last couple of weeks uh, from our allies, including the U.K. and France. Do you think this move has also emboldened our adversaries like Russia and China? Well, certainly on the world stage, it makes us look uh, much weaker. Um, I'm not suggesting we are any weaker, but clearly the perception is that, uh, you know, the the pullout, uh, irrespective of whether we agree with it, it should have happened or not happened. That's a different story. The way it happened, I think, is really what people are focusing on. There's clearly a better way that it could have happened. Um, A much more thoughtful, planned way would have uh, eliminated uh, a lot of the things that have gone on currently and I think would have reduced the uh, the strength of the Taliban uh, internally. Um, I think our adversaries are, you know, Russia and China will will capitalize on this, uh, capitalize on this as best they can, either through propaganda or public information mechanisms, or clearly within uh, the gap that now exists in country and the ability for them to fill that gap, uh, irrespective of the enemies that uh, you know Russia had developed over the years. Um, you know, still an opportunity for them to uh, to to gain an asset. Uh, Chinese equally, uh, you know, they didn't have the best of relations in the past, but clearly, uh, whenever we step mm-hmm. out, an opportunity is created, and uh, our adversaries can uh, can step in. A risk worth watching, uh, unfortunately. Secretary Laskowski, thank you for joining us this morning. Appreciate sure. it. Thank you very much. And back to this morning's breaking news. Ida making landfall in Louisiana yesterday as a Category Four hurricane. Our own Valerie Castro joins us now from New Orleans. Valerie, what's the latest? Good morning, Seema. We're here along the Mississippi River where this morning the hurricane has now been downgraded to a tropical storm. But as you mentioned, it roared ashore yesterday just before noon as a monster Category 4 hurricane. This morning we're waking up to more than 1 million people without power. Here in the city of New Orleans, there is no power throughout the entire city. We lost electricity just after 6 o'clock last night. Entergy, which is one of the largest utilities in the state, called it a catastrophic failure of their transmission services. And uh, this morning, they're accounting for about 800,000 of those power outages. The city of New Orleans this morning also uh, saying there are some issues with their 911 emergency response system. They're urging residents in need to go to the nearest fire station or flag down the nearest emergency responder if they have any issues. Yesterday, President Biden issued a disaster declaration from FEMA headquarters. And just a few hours later, the first hurricane-related death was reported in Ascension Parish. The sheriff's office there says someone was killed by a falling tree. In the town of Kenner, you can see um, some video. The roof of a medical center there was ripped off in sections. There was no reported danger to the patients inside, although we're told that medical staff had to shelter in place. And in St. Bernard Parish, we want to show you some 
images, some before and after. Uh, the images were taken about an hour apart uh, before the storm came in and then after when the water started really to come in and flood areas of St. Bernard Parish. This morning, we're still waiting for sunrise to see how bad the damage really is. I think the worst of it really was overnight when the power was out and people really couldn't see anything. So we're waiting for sunlight this morning to see how conditions are and how everyone fared. Seema? A hopeful sign, Valerie. The storm surge was far below the levee protection system limits in New Orleans. They were upgraded after Katrina, and the mayor yesterday was confident they would be effective. And I know other communities south of where you are did report levee uh, failure. Just how bad, though, is still unclear. Seema, that's right. It is still unclear. Uh, again, most of the area has been in the dark overnight, but there was some issue reported with some levees failing uh, south of New Orleans. The damage unclear, but as you mentioned, the mayor yesterday, she reiterated over and over again that they were confident the levee system here in New Orleans would hold strong after everything was upgraded following Katrina. We'll Seema? Coming to you for the latest throughout the day. Valerie, thank you. Valerie Castro. And next on Worldwide Exchange, a key CDC meeting today. We will talk booster shots and the fight against COVID next. But first, as we head to break, some of your other top headlines this morning. Another million Moderna COVID vaccines in Japan have been pulled, bringing the total of shots suspended to 2.6 million. This comes after foreign substances were found in batches of the vaccine and two people died after getting shots from affected lots. Moderna shares down again this morning after dropping 4.5% Friday. A firm shares soaring after the close Friday on news of a partnership with Amazon. The tie-up with the firm will let Amazon customers split some purchases up into smaller monthly payments. And Candyman topped the weekend box office with $22.3 million in ticket sales. The horror movie from Universal and MGM is a sequel to the original Candyman, which was released in 1992. Stay tuned. Welcome back. The CDC Advisory Committee on Immunization is set to meet today to discuss the latest in COVID-19 vaccine policy in the country. The questions of booster shots and the approval of shots for children under 12 will be top of mind as hospitalizations in the U.S. across 100,000 for the first time since the winter 2021 peak. Joining us now to discuss is Dr. Camille Cotton, Clinical Director for Transplant and Immunocompromised Host Infectious Diseases at Massachusetts General Hospital and a member of the ACIP. I know, I, I understand, Doctor, you will be at today's meeting. What will you be looking for? Well, today's meeting um, will be a discussion of primarily the Pfizer vaccine, and we will be reviewing safety and efficacy and thinking about um, paths forward. And uh, near the end of the meeting, we will also be beginning to discuss uh, booster doses and exactly what information we will need to make good decisions about them. How concerned are you about the rising number of hospitaliza hospitalizations of, of younger children who contracted COVID-19 and, and don't have the vaccine? Sure. Uh, well, we definitely are concerned about all hospitalizations. We are really concerned about the overall number of hospitalizations. I will say the vast majority of those hospitalizations are people who have not been vaccinated. So rather than uh, necessarily focus on booster vaccines, I would still recommend very strongly that everyone think very hard about getting a vaccine. Vaccines have been given to hundreds of millions of people. The safety data is overall really 
incredible. And it is much safer to get vaccinated than to run the risk of um, getting infected. At this point in the pandemic, with Delta circulating so uh, commonly out there, it's really important to think about vaccine now. The choice is really either eventually getting infected or getting vaccinated. And I have chosen to get vaccinated uh, knowing that the level of protection, even many months later, is really, really good. So we should really have a major focus on getting the entire population well vaccinated. At the same time, there are some Americans who are receiving that third shot, the the, the booster shot. How do you see that timeline um, moving from here till the end of the year? So hopefully between now and the end of the year, we will have the ability to review all the medical information and make good choices and good recommendations as far as what Americans need. I would stress that the um, safety and effectiveness of the vaccine is still really, really strong and really good. As an infectious disease specialist who was vaccinated in the um, in January, I still feel very comfortable going to work, working with COVID patients. Um, and I think that we do need to think about best ways for paths forward. Um, but it's not as though all of our uh, vaccines, um, you know, stopped working or anything like that. We're just seeing a slight decrease in some of our studies in vaccine protection. Doctor, how closely are you watching the data out of Israel? Of course, that country has been very quick to administer the booster shot to the wider population. Sure. We're looking um, both within the United States and outside the United States. Israel has had an amazing program. Um, they have a national healthcare system where they can really synthesize the information quite nicely. They've used primarily one vaccine. And so the data is really um, helpful to us in medical decision making. Um, as always, uh, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, head of the CDC, has said, go with the science. The science out of Israel um, and some other countries as well has been been really useful to us in helping shape U.S. policy. Yeah, uh, journalists as well. Appreciate it, doctor. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Camille Cotton. And coming up on Worldwide Exchange, with just two trading days left in August, the S&P 500 is on track for its longest monthly win streak in nearly four years. We will get you ready for the trading week ahead. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We will be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. There are only two trading days left in August, and stocks have been continuing to hit new highs this month. Futures right now indicating, well, a higher open, the Nasdaq higher by 18 points. Dow Jones Industrials up 14 points in pre-market. To discuss the market and where to put your money to work, Patrick Palfrey, Senior Equity Strategist at Credit Suisse. Patrick, good morning to you. Uh, relief, excitement, how would you describe the market's response to Fed Chair Jerome Powell's speech on Friday? Because you really saw the market start to move after his speech was delivered. Uh, good morning. So I, I would characterize it using your word as, as excitement. And I think the concern was that the tapering process, I think, would begin more aggressively and I think earlier than people had expected. It seems like tapering will, according to his words, happen this year, but this year will likely be uh, probably closer to the end of the year than, than likely in September. And what we saw against that backdrop is a big move in the cyclical assets. Um, I'm talking energy, uh, materials, industrials, um, things that do well when the 
uh, interest rates rise. And, and that's really what we saw is those stocks do very well. Um, that's different than what we've been seeing now for the better part of the last, um, you know, three to four months since interest rates, uh, the 10-year yield specifically peaked in March. The last time the Fed scaled back on its asset purchase program in 2013, um, you saw the market decline by around 7 percent. But then the S&P 500 came right back up. I mean, this is a market that has really rewarded those who buy the pullback. I'm curious your thoughts on, on how the market sort of tries to respond to a potential uh, tapering in, in this fall. Well, I still think we need the pullback to buy. And, and I think in reality, when you look at, you know, rate hike cycles, and, and I'm, I'm talking less about tapering and more about rate hike cycles, uh, stocks tend to do very well heading into the first rate hike. On average, they gain 9.5%. And then even after we go forward for the next, you know, 24 to 36 months, stocks continue to grind higher. So what we see is rate hike cycles do not precipitate the end of the bull market. What precipitates the end of the bull market is recessionary factors. And right now, we don't see any of those on the horizon. Corporate profits look quite robust. Uh, we have inflation, and I think that's pe- what people are, are focused on. But in reality, that, that's, that's very good for corporate profits. Um, and, and really what this is likely to do is to continue to keep the direction of the market pointed higher. Uh, getting Digging a little bit deeper, energy ha- was the best performing sector last week. It's been moving uh, for a number of reasons. You could say geopolitics and also this hurricane down in Louisiana. Would you be putting money to work in this sector uh, based on these headlines? I, I think energy presents a, presents a good opportunity. Um, all of the groups that have economic exposure uh, do very well in this type of backdrop. Energy is a very good example of it. There is a commodity play there as well. And frankly, we think that's still going to continue to support upside for the group. But anything in the cyclical sector, including energy, um, so materials, industrials, financials, are going to continue to work uh, if we see interest rates continue to rise for energy, if we see oil continue to move higher. Within industrials, uh, what do you like? Or is it the agriculture equipment players like Caterpillar and Deal or other names? Uh, we, we prefer the more uh, economically exposed groups, so less aerospace and defense, less business services, more uh, kind of capital goods, X aerospace and defense. So the names you mentioned uh, certainly could do well in this environment. But, but anything early, uh, middle stage industrial should work very well here. And speaking of industrials, we have manufacturing, factory orders coming out tomorrow, and then the jobs report on Friday. What will you be looking for, Patrick? Uh, ultimately, we want to see, continue to see the pace of job gains continue to, to be very strong. I, I think the concern uh, is that as people head back to school, that the job gains won't come through. Um, and that's a concern around Delta. Uh, ultimately, we want to see continued strength in the labor market. And uh, we, we expect to see that. Zoom is set to report earnings today. I'm curious if this is a name you like. Uh, we, we don't follow the individual stocks closely, but what I do know is despite the fact that we are seeing a move back to the office, we still think many of these names in the technology sector that uh, really worked in the work from home environment are going to continue to work. Our uh, environment and how we work is not changing. Zoom is likely going to be part of that, as are a lot of the names that have worked well. So I would expect anything in that area to continue to work. Yeah, this is a name that's at the center of this debate around when companies should allow employees back into the office. So many companies have delayed the return uh, and Zoom shares are flat on the year, but again, up 400 percent in 2020. We'll see what the company delivers after the bell. Patrick, great to see you. Thank you. Have a great day. And that does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Thank you for joining me. I'm Seema Modi. Squawk Box is next. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.